Hey, hey, welcome back to another episode of When the Cleats Come Off. I'm your host, Ashley Burkhart, and we have another goat, G-O-A-T, on the podcast this week. Kat Osterman is in the house. If you didn't know, she's an Olympic gold and silver medalist, gold in 2004, silver in 2008, and yes, that's when we lost to Japan in 2008, which means she's out for vengeance this year for Team USA. She'll be competing in the Olympics very soon. She's a three-time player of the year at Texas. She retired from the NPF in 2015 in the middle of my career in the NPF. Yes, I share in this episode when I uh, didn't do too hot off of her and why. But not only did she retire in 2015, when she found out the Olympics was coming back for Team USA, she came back to the game in 2018, out of retirement, has been playing ever since, was a superstar in the inaugural season of Athletes Unlimited, and like I said earlier, she's going to be competing for Team USA in the Olympics in Tokyo very soon, depending on when you're listening to this. But holy smokes. That's why I said we have a goat on this week's podcast. Now, if you want to know a little bit more about what we're talking about, this is is what you got on the docket. We learn from Kat how she fell in love with pitching and her niche for life, how she had to earn pitching lessons growing up from her dad. (laughs) That's a good story. How she went from not being good at first, but falling in love with the process anyway, where her fierceness on the mound came from, how she keeps her composure when most would panic in certain situations, where her love for Wonder Woman started. We talk about Tokyo 2021, when she plans to retire, and so much more. All right, here is my interview with the legend, the GOAT, Kat Osterman. Hey there, I'm Ashley Burkhart owner of Ashley B Training, former D1 athlete, and professional athlete in the game of softball. I even spent a little bit of time coaching at the college level as well. But now I coach athletes, and especially youth athletes, and I try to teach them the ways to become the very best versions of themselves. And I know that they can't do that without a support system that will do anything and everything to make sure their dreams and their goals happen for them. A lot of times I hear parents and coaches saying, hey, I'm just gonna dish my athlete off to you. Hopefully you can figure out what her issue is. Here's the deal. That's not how we should coach. That's not how we should parent. And I can tell you right now, I'm not a parent, but your athlete is the most influenced by you. And I truly believe that you are one of the reasons why she plays the game. And I truly believe you are one of the reasons why she plays so hard. So if we can learn from some of the greats, I'm going to have some of the best softball players, some of the best softball players, parents, even my parents and my family are going to be on this podcast sharing our journeys with you so that when the cleats do come off, you know what to say so that she can learn from her mistakes sooner, so that she can become the best version of her. And that's what we want. We want our athletes to be able to thrive. And that's why we're here. So welcome to this podcast. This is going to get real. This is going to get deep. And I'm here to challenge your thinking. That's why I coach. I'm really excited for you to be here. And I can't wait to hear who else is going to be along this journey with us, learning from some of the best. 
I'm going to be learning too. So whip out your notebook and let's head to the next episode. Hey, and welcome back to When the Cleats Come Off. I'm your host, Ashley Burkhart, with special guest, Kat Osterman. This is a day before you leave for Tokyo. We are honored to have you on the show. Hey, girl. Hey. (laughs) Taking a break from packing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, the best break. Let's talk about softball. Um, P.S., the shrine behind you, I'm all about it. We were talking off the cuff about how great it is on your bad days to look behind you and be like, yeah, I got a couple couple medals, a silver and a gold. It's fine. It's one of those when you like when you start adulting, you have to like just go ahead and celebrate everything you've done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we built yeah. the house and we decided that the office would uh, be the shrine. So I first noticed the shrine when Jade had her video where she came over for like a couple days or something and recorded at your house. I was like, okay, that's legit. That's an entire room full of things. Yeah, I think. We might have we might have redecorated since she was here. I can't remember when we got our shelves. I used to have my Texas jersey that not the retired one. We haven't retired it yet because of COVID, but mm. I framed one that I just conveniently never gave back and it used to be in here <laughs> too, but it's in the workout room now. So because we had to get Oh, that's awesome. We had to get shelves and drawers and things like that to actually <laughs> use the office as an office. <laughs> that's great. I'm sure that workout room is utilized all throughout COVID for you. It was created because of COVID because all mm-hmm. the gyms and everything shut down. So we ordered a rack and then we started buying whatever dumbbells we could find on the fly. Some guy pulled up to our house and unloaded them from the back of his little station wagon, whatever, <laughs> paid cash for them. We're good. So yeah, yeah. it's been uh, it's been well utilized. You got to do what you got to do. I mean, you're about to go compete in Olympics. You can't take a whole COVID off. That's not a plan. No, I could only do the whole like throw rocks and books and whatever else you could find in a bag and lift it for about two weeks. And I was like, all right, <laughs> we got to find real dumbbells. This isn't working. Uh, the life, the life behind the scenes mm-hmm. of an Olympian. I love it. So just because we're a couple weeks off of the Women's College World Series ending, I need to know your perspective. Like, what did you think of this year's Women's College World Series? Originally, I was, I thought... OU would like steamroll through it. And obviously they lost their first game. So I was actually shocked they came all the way back through because I just didn't know that if they would be able to rebound and go like that far. So pretty cool. They lost the first game and got all the way to the finals. Um, Same with Florida State. So you had two teams who did the same thing. If you weren't motivated by Odyssey Alexander's performances, like you're not human, there's something wrong with you. She did a great job of like, I mean, kind of, Obviously, in her mind and her teammates' mind, she's probably not unknown. They've seen her do that plenty, but for the rest of the world to see it, it was pretty cool. And just to see her passion and and how how she just approached day to day, like each game, it was like no game was bigger than the other for her, and it was really cool to see. Um, I had Alabama winning it. I'm not gonna lie, so I was bummed when that didn't happen. I was actually kind of surprised because I really thought they were hitting on all cylinders. Um, mm-hmm. Bailey Hemphill is just a legend. I adore her. I've already talked about her twice on the podcast. I Her swing and the simplicity of it. Like, she's probably that hitter where you're like, thank God I'm not on the mound. Yeah. It was <laughs> the coolest thing was being with Kelly Crutchman when Bailey broke her home run record. Yes. Because um, the national team, Kelly was helping us out while our coaches were obviously in the college game. And so we were in San Diego, I think. We were at a pot. I think we were at we were at an MLB game. I think it was the Padres game, and they had the we had the TV on in the suite and watching. And 
Kelly was watching and like literally cheering for Bailey to do it. And I'm like, dude, this is a record you've held for how long? And she's like, as soon as Bailey hit it, she was going nuts. And it was so cool to just see, you know, the goat of Alabama softball, like basically saying, yeah, here, rewrite the record book, do it, do it. And like, cause she still has that much love for Alabama, but mm, it was that's so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I saw that on Twitter and I was like, uh, to see yeah. Kelly do that, like to see Kelly's reaction, it just shows like, the true love for the game, not your own record, like right. super selfless. It's amazing. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. All right. I interrupted you. Keep going. No, that was really cool to see. Um, I was mm-hmm. just, I mean, I've known Kelly forever. So I was just smiling watching her like celebrate Bailey. But yeah, I thought, I mean, I thought it was an intense world series. I thought every game was, was really good. You know, it was really cool to see Georgia make it because they had had such a terrible stretch down the end, down the end of the season, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But you know, they, they're just a team with constant fight and grit and they always find a way. So that was fun to see. Um, but you know, it was exciting. It was really exciting. Weather delays could always be without, but you know, it is what it is. We didn't even get to see game. We didn't even get to see the final game because we were in the middle of practice. Cause it had mm. but it is what it is, but it happy, is happy is. for OU coach Gasso is obviously doing an amazing job there. It'll be crazy to see how many home runs Alo puts up this next year because she's like, I think only like six or seven away from the record and it's about to be untouchable. It's unreal. Uh, what about your friend, Caitlin Lowe, former teammate? Yeah, super excited for her. You know, obviously everyone has to retire at some point. So it's kind of sad to see Coach Kendra say goodbye to the game, but mm-hmm. obviously knew when that announcement was coming out that Caitlin had been there. So you just kind of assumed she was going to slide in and uh, actually just saw her last week up in Oklahoma city. So it was good to see her and say congratulations. And, you know, she's perfect for the job. She knows the standard of Arizona. She is that blend of, of young, a young coach, but still wants the standards and the work ethic that coach Kendra wanted. So the the mesh. So um, really cool for her to take over, but also for her to be able to bring Lauren Lappin in. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. higher. Lauren's been coaching in the D3 realm, I believe it is. And it's just cool for her to be able to make that transition and and go to such a premier program. So um, excited to see what they are. I would love to say that I'm going to be a Wildcat fan, but I have to stay true to true to my alma mater. Of course. But if they're as long as they're not playing each other, I'll cheer for for Arizona because that's really cool to see Caitlin and Lappin team up. And then obviously Tara Moet's been doing a great job there. So. It'll be, it'll be an interesting uh, transition, but I think Caitlin's totally up to the task and super proud of her. Yeah. I really wanted to know that from your perspective, because I knew you had played together and, you know, bringing up Mike Andrea, he was your coach in the, in both Olympics or one? Both. Yeah. Both. So the funny part with Kate, back to Caitlin for a second is when she finished playing, she like didn't want to coach. That's where, if you hear her story, she'll tell you she went back as the director of ops because she was like, oh, I don't want to get into coaching. And then she couldn't stand watching and not coaching. So mm-hmm. um, she ended up flipping sides and, and becoming the coach. But yeah, she is she's super smart, knows the game so well. And yeah, Coach Kendra was our Olympic coach 04 and 08. He's an amazing individual. Um, he It doesn't matter whether you played for him at Arizona or USA or whatever. Like he texts happy birthday. He texts Merry Christmas. Um, after I got married, he texts congratulations. Like he follows all of us. And it's so cool to just, you know, you get those texts and it's like, Oh, like he doesn't have to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I turned him down to go to Arizona. So it's like, he really could have just kind of coached me on USA and been like, all right, next, next thing. But he's such a great, a great human. Although it's really hard to like explain him to the coach because he's one of those guys. He does. I don't think he ever yelled at us. If he did, it was like once or twice, and obviously wow. didn't wasn't 
something that we all left there like, oh my God, we're never going to forget this. He just exudes such a confidence and a, a certain aura that you walk into practice and it's like, all right, I got to be serious. I got to take care of business. I got to do this. And you don't want to disappoint him, even though he's never mentioned anything about being disappointed or failing or anything like that. So um, it was just really cool to kind of be in that environment, especially so young. Um, I think that's the biggest thing is I got to be in that environment super young and, and learn how to kind of deal, deal with expectations, both ones you put on yourself, but just kind of perceived ones mm-hmm. versus someone saying, this is what I want you to do. Like just, you know, you know, when your coach gives you that look and you're like, okay, time to do something different or work harder, or mm-hmm. those kind of things. And I still hear him yell when I get to three balls on somebody <laughs> in my head, I can hear him. Here you go, like every time, every time you <laughs> get three balls on somebody, he's yelling something from the dugout. So um, it was fun. It was, a, it was fun times. And, you know, he probably instilled, he without knowing instilled confidence in me that I needed at a young age. There's a quote that's often attached to pictures that I said at one point in time that was like, when someone you have respect for believes in you, it makes you believe in yourself that much more. And it was about him. Um, he gave me the ball in the 2003 Pan American Championship game. And I was 20. I might have just turned 20 at that time. And here I am, you know, the youngest. And here I'm getting the ball in the championship game. And I went on to, I think, throw a perfect game. I keep looking in the closet because there are the balls over here on a shelf somewhere. But um, <laughs> I believe it was it was either a no-hitter or a perfect game. But that was the point where I was like, okay, if he gave me the ball in the championship game when I'm on a roster with – Lisa, Lori, Jenny, you know, that kind of staff. Um, he obviously believes in me. And that's when I was like, okay, if he believes in you, you got to figure out how to believe in yourself this much. Wow. That just gave me massive goosebumps. I, I think that's so powerful because a lot of people on this podcast are either parents or coaches of athletes. And it's pretty spectacular to know that if you play for a coach who believes in you more than you believe in yourself, like what you're capable of. Yeah. Like in that moment, I'm sure you were terrified, but at least you had that that whole mindset of, hey, Coach Candrea believes in me. Who am I to say I can't do this? Right. It's like if that's the best coach epic. in the world says, hey, here you go. You got this. I believe in you. Like, why would you go on the mound and doubt anything else or step in the box doubting yourself? Uh, that's so special. I love that. Yeah. Now, I th- I'm sure most of the world knows your story. We were talking off the cuff and you were like, yeah, there's pretty much everything about me is out there. But if you could share your story of like the conception of the love of the game to and maybe other sports you played to where you are now, yeah. do you think you can sum it up in five minutes or? Yeah, I could do is that. It's going to take 25. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um, so growing up, um, I'm from a basketball family, um, born and raised in Texas. My parents are from Illinois, though, and not in, well, mom wasn't from Chicago. Dad's from Southern Illinois. Never really a football family which is really rare being down here in Texas. Football is like king, but everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we were a basketball family. I'm pretty sure I had a basketball in my hands, like at the age that I could walk and hold something. That was my first love. Played it from third grade all the way through high school. When we get to recruiting, talking about recruiting stuff, like I told my coaches, like, you're not going to make me quit my basketball. Like that's, that's my only stipulation, like understand the risk of getting hurt and stuff, but it's, it's what keeps me sane. And so um, basketball was my first love. I played Every sport you could think of probably other than like cricket and polo. Um, (laughs) I tried everything under the sun as a kid, soccer, gymnastics, volleyball, tennis, golf, swimming. I mean, you name it, I've tried it. And I actually played soccer in first, or I mean, softball in first grade, first through fifth graders on the same team. 
it was really scary having a fifth grader throw or a 10 year old throw a ball at a five year old or six year old. So I quit and played soccer. Wow. Um, about four years into soccer, I got bored because I was a goalie and my team was pretty good. So the ball was always on the other end of the field. And you know how coaches do, I, I guess you could call it manipulation. I just call it tricking you. They would be like, oh, play goalie for one half. And then you can, um, you can, you know, go play midfield the second half or whatever. Well, it'd be like a 1-0, 2-0 game. And they'd be like, oh, it's too close of a game. We really need you to stay in goal. You're our best goalie. And so I'd be like, oh, all right. But finally, I was just like, dude, I got I to I gotta get out of this goal. It's pouring. And so when I said I wanted to quit soccer, um, my parents kind of were one, those parents that were like, you've got to do something else. Like, we just need some other type of activity. Like, you're not going to sit in the house and do nothing. And so my dad suggested, like, why don't we try softball again? And so I did. Played Little League. Had a coach that made it really fun. Enjoyed it. Um, and at one point our pitchers, cause of rainouts, had maxed their limits on how many innings they could pitch for the week. And he was like, Hey, I need somebody to try to pitch. And of course, when you're left-handed, you're stuck in one of two places, first base, or I'm picking flowers in the outfield. I'm pretty sure I was mm-hmm. picking flowers in the outfield. So I ran and was like, I'll try. Um, I picked up the ball, went to pitch, never having practiced before in my life. And I know I struck out one of the first hitters I faced and that was all I needed to know that I was destined to be in the circle. Heck um, yes. I don't know if I pitched more than one inning in that game. I just know after that game, I told my dad, I want to do this. I want to try pitching. And so when that had to be close to my birthday, because that's like for my 11th birthday, I kept asking for pitching lessons. Like, I just want pitching lessons. I just want pitching lessons. I think I ended up getting pitching lessons and some gifts, but um, <laughs> I asked for lessons and then after like the first or second lesson, I had fallen in love with pitching and I came home. This was in fifth grade. So we had to write a paper about like a gift, one of your gifts. And my mom's like, well, you're, you're a good soccer goalie. That's a good gift. And I'm like, you should like your gift, mom. Like you don't write about <laughs> gifts if you don't like them. And uh, <laughs> so after having written that paper about, I don't know what, I came home yelling to my mom, I found my gift. I found my gift. Little did we know at 11 that I truly had found my gift and um, my niche for life. So fell in love with pitching at 11 and just never looked back from then on. Um, can't say I fell in love. I mean, can't say I fully fell in love with the game. I just fell in love with pitching and it was part of the game. So mm-hmm. it all kind of went hand in hand. And then obviously the older I got, the more I fell in love with the game because, you know, you just start to understand the nuances of it. But everyone jokes about, you know, I don't hit. I'm very very open about that. And I quit hitting at a very young age and I was very okay with it. Um, and I think that's part of it. Like I just never fell in love with hitting. Like, sure. You know, even when I joked around or I got to hit a couple times, it's cool to get a hit. It's fun to celebrate getting on base. But when you talk about working at it, I wanted to work at pitching and I had no desire to work at hitting. So putting a bat up was never, never a hesitation for me. And then the few yeah. times, you know, I had to hit in high school and such like that because we needed, we needed, I, my high school was okay, um, but we didn't have enough experienced players where I could not hit. So I had to hit in high school, but, and I would yeah. do it, but it's just something, you know, if you tell me to go work on softball, I'm going to go grab a softball and go grab a catcher and throw. And unfortunately I have a 10 year old stepdaughter who does the same thing. I'll be like, all right, let's go work on, let's go softball practice. And she forgets her bat. I'm like, dude, you got to bring your bat. <laughs> Like, you're not young enough to be a pitcher of me. You got to bring your back. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That's so cool that you knew and, and you weren't forced to hit, you know? You were probably, like, told, hey, go in right now. But, like, 
you weren't told you have to be a hitter forever. That's, that's awesome. No, I mean, and I hit, I, I don't even want to say reluctantly. I like, I mean, I hit up until I was about 14 and then there was a where our other pitcher, I think she got hurt right before it. And so I was going to be primarily our only pitcher. And they were like, Hey, we're going to take you out of the batting lineup. And I was like, okay, that's fine. And then after the tournament, they were like, Hey, unless we find another, you know, solid pitcher, we're probably just going to not let you. And I was like, I don't care. <laughs> I was like, that's fine. In fact, I know one point my stipulation with pitching lessons was like, I didn't get my lesson at the end of each week if I didn't practice. Mm. And so I always practice and we get our lesson practice. Well, no matter what, I went to hitting lessons with like two or three of my teammates. And I think one time I looked at my dad and was like, why when I don't practice hitting, do I still get a hitting lesson? <laughs> and he like looked at me and was like, all right, we're done. <laughs> we'll save the money. You're done. <laughs> How about I just try to hit? Like, if they make me hit, they make me hit. It's fine. But yeah, I hitting, love it. Hitting was never my forte. I was the opposite of you, like, complete opposite. Forced to pitch, actually, because we didn't have a pitcher on my team. My dad and I went on YouTube, looked up videos of how to pitch. Can't even remember whose videos I looked at. They were probably jank, but, you know, we didn't have a pitcher. And I was like, oh, I don't want to lose. So give me the ball. And I was kind of like thrown into it. And I do want to talk about this because I told this to Monica when she was on. I was like, there was literally a time where I hated pitching so much that I just pretended I was you or Monica. Like this was in high school. Like, so I literally was like, okay, I'm kind of tall. Like what does Kat do? Okay. She puts her glove like over her head. Dad, we're going to do this today. And I literally, I was like, I had to make it fun yeah. somehow. So I always joke about that. Cause I'm like, I mean, they're tall. I get them, you know, and if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it like Kat or Monica. So here we go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's funny. That's awesome. <laughs> But then hitting, I was like, take me to lessons. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many people that get forced to pitch, though, especially in high school. Like, most people don't. Andrea yeah. Durian pitched for her high school. I mean, you're talking no about like third baseman, and in high school, she was pitching. Wow. That's interesting. I had to pitch at my state game, like, but I wasn't supposed to be pitching. Luckily, I had Andrea Filler, who actually plays for Team Italy. You'll play against her in the first game of the Olympics. We were on the same high school team, and she was normally our pitcher. But for some reason, I had to be thrown in. And I was like, why? Why? I just want to play shortstop. Like, get me out of here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's amazing. That's crazy. I do notice that there are a lot of elite softball players that were pitchers at some point. Or shortstops. <laughs> yeah. Shortstop, <laughs> like, I never was. Left-handed, it wasn't in the cards. Yeah. Yeah. My sister was a left-handed shortstop in high school. That's crazy. There is one. I, um, well, Jada Coleman, the center fielder for OU now. She was a left handed shortstop all the way through high school. And everyone yeah. was like everyone here in Texas is wondering, it's like, so are you gonna let her play left handed shortstop? Because <laughs> she's that good. She figures it out. She figured it out. Wow. She was good. That's so cool. Awesome. So lead me into you're starting to get really good at it because you're putting in all the work. Yeah. That probably leads you a little closer to high school. Um, you're going to lessons. What does life look like for you then? Oh, all right. So yeah, we go through junior high. I, softball was, I, I say my life, but I chose, I mean, it's not like, again, my parents forced me. I chose to do it. Most of my friends were on my travel softball team and they weren't even at the schools like that I went to. So weekends away were, were that was like the fun times. Start high school. It's actually funny because I always say like I never joined a certain clique or a certain group in high school because I missed the first week of high school because we were at nationals. 
And so I'd show up like a week later and everybody has all their like friend groups and I'm just like bouncing around from group to group for four years, but it's all right. It worked out still playing. I actually played volleyball. I played volleyball, basketball, and softball my freshman year, quit volleyball after my freshman year, stuck with basketball and softball. Yeah, I was starting to get, I mean, I think freshman year of high school is probably really where I turned the corner and realized that, you know, I didn't just love it, but I was actually pretty good at it. Changed travel teams after my after my freshman year, I think. After my first year of 16 year, we moved up, joined the Katie Cruisers, and that ended up kind of being the, the defying moment of my career, so to speak. You know, my dad's words were, we're going to move up so you get hit a little bit and we can learn and figure out what we need to do to be better. And instead I moved up by the time, from the time that tryouts had happened and we got to our first fall tournament, which was like maybe four or five weeks, every pitcher had quit except for me. So now this 18 and under team that had just finished like seventh at nationals has this 16 and this 16 year old pitcher who hasn't even thrown one pitch at at 18 under yet. So I was kind of thrown into the fire. The good thing was I made it work. (laughs) You could hold your own. Yeah, I had my own. So we went to nationals that year. We got seventh again or maybe fifth. And then in 2000 and 2001, we won gold nationals. It was ASA at the time, which is now USA softball, obviously. Um, But we were the first non-California team to win gold nationals. And then we were the first team to ever back-to-back win gold nationals. So that was something took pride in. There have been non-California teams since, but there still has not yet been another Texas team. So we kind of hang our hat on that, those of us Mm -hmm. And then my junior year was kind of the big moment. I, before nationals actually, my travel team got to play against the 2000 Olympic team and not, not an all-star team. It was like literally just our travel team. And we played them. We actually took them eight innings. We lost one. Wow. Um, I think Lisa no hit our entire team through eight innings, but that's whatever. Um, I pitched the first five innings and was actually warming up to go in. If we went into the ninth, I was warming up to go back in, but pitched the first five innings, um, gave up one hit and struck out 11. And so that was at the point that um, I left there that day telling my dad, like, I want to play on that team one day. Um, Didn't think it would be 2004, but um, it worked out. And so, um, you know, um, yeah. And the rest is history after that. Then the career (laughs) folded in front of everybody else's eyes. But that was really the moment where I kind of realized, okay, I can do this. And mentally, emotionally, physically, I could put it all together and um, figure out how to be successful. Um, Obviously went to Texas after that, chose to stay home for college. I had options. I actually visited quite a few places, both unofficials and official visits. Um, But in the end, I wanted to be far enough away from home that I was on my own, but close enough that my parents could come to midweeks and most of the games. And by the end of it, six of us from the cruisers ended up at Texas anyways. Um, So it was kind (laughs) of like, you know, playing with your best friends, um, which was nice. And uh, yeah, so tech, and plus being from Texas, I really wanted, I liked the challenge of trying to bring the first national championship back home. Um, didn't happen, still hasn't happened, but it was a fun challenge. Yeah, that's so cool. There's so many things I want to unpack, but it sounds like you and your dad had like this epic relationship. Yeah, dad is, he is and was like my rock for, for so long. He sat on the bucket with me catching so that was like the big thing. Cause you know, like we spent every waking moment together, basically. He taught me my work ethic. I mean, I think that was the big thing was not that he pushed me to the, it wasn't like slave driver and it wasn't like, Oh, you have to go throw, but you know, he put the rule. If you don't work, I'm not gonna pay for a lesson 
or mm. that makes sense. I mean, I don't know how much private instruction you do, but like, how often are you like, can you please make your kid work during the week? Like, why are you still paying <laughs> them if they're not working? Like, yeah, risking yeah. your money and my time because we're doing the same thing we did last week. And so, you know, he put that rule on me, which was fine. And then the other stipulation was always just like, it doesn't matter how long we're going to be out here. If we're out here, I need you to be focused and I need you to work. Like, don't waste my time. Don't waste your time. Like, let's work and get better. And so from a young age, he taught me that. And, you know, I've approached pitching that way forever. You know, I try, I, I don't get distracted during bullpens very often. They don't get stopped for phone calls or other things. In fact, my stepdaughter's learned because she'll try to start talking or doing something in the middle of the bullpen while she's with us at the cage. And I'll be like, look, next time, I, next time you're at dance practice, I'm going to come in and interrupt. And she's like, no. And I'm like, oh, quit interrupting me. <laughs> I know it's easy, but like, I got to do this. I, my, my work ethic comes from my dad, but yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. My family traveled to a lot of places, but the times that my mom couldn't bring my brothers, my dad and I traveled everywhere and yeah, he's just been there for the long haul. And here I am at 38 and he still calls me to tell me what he thinks is wrong with my pitching. <laughs> That's amazing. Cause my dad did that throughout my entire career too. He's just like, so great day, but can we talk about the strikeout? <laughs> and I'm like, sure, dad, we can talk about the strikeout. Yeah, One of our last, last tour games, not the ones here in, in Houston, but up in probably Midland. I threw okay. Not great. And my mom was like, hey, we watched. Dad's out golfing, but text him in a couple hours. And I'm like, all right, fine. And that was like, all right, fine is my like, oh, yeah, sure, okay. Then she texts me and says, hey, Dad's home. And I'm like, okay. And I kept doing whatever I was doing with the team or whatever. And then before, like at 8 o'clock at night or something, she's like, hey, Dad's going to go to bed within the hour, so you need to call him. I'm like, wait, is this like if I want to call or does he want me to call? <laughs> like, clearly. We both know the answer. Yeah, I'm like, Clearly he wants me to call. So I called. Him. So we'll have the conversation. Yeah. I'm like, That's so funny. I'm just laughing. Car ride home conversations with my dad. I think as I was the firstborn, they went a certain way. Those were hard. What yeah. were yours like? I don't see, I don't remember them being too bad. My mom, my mom says there, there were a couple, obviously, like came into the house crying. Yeah. But usually I, I remember getting in trouble, not because of, not because like I failed at softball, but because of how I handled it, like mm. being mad about it or being a rude teammate or something like that. I remember in high school, I embarrassed my parents so bad and it's embarrassing to talk about it, but we lost, <laughs> I want to say it was our playoff game and we lost one, nothing or two to one. We shouldn't have lost. And I was livid and I don't know why I was so mad, but I was outside our team bus just throwing a fit, like through my bag, through something else. Like I'm outside the bus in the parking lot throwing a 15, 16 year old temper tantrum, like no other. And I just remember I got home and I got reamed and I was, it was just, and I was, now you look back like totally, totally warranted. But it was like, it wasn't yeah. because we lost. It was like, how dare, like, how dare you act? One, it's a game, but how dare you act like that? Like people know where your parents and we te we've taught you better. And so that's where I'm always like conscious of when I work with kids. I'm like, listen, you just have to remember who all you represent because when you mm -hmm. do something like that, like if people know who your, who your hitting coach is, who your pitching coach is, who this, like those are the people that are going to get told of your behavior. Um, on top of your brain. Absolutely. So yeah. 
that's 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 a really great point because a bunch of athletes right now are in Colorado playing and wanting to play in college mm-hmm. and like they don't realize that every action they take especially actions like that they're they're being looked at on how they're going to represent the future school yep and if coaches are seeing this hissy fit I don't want you on my team yeah no because I don't want you to represent me and do that but I think you I think everybody needs that that kick in the butt on that especially because yeah I guarantee you I've done things like that like throwing my bat and dad's just like uh-uh yeah. No, you can go sit in the car before you do that again. Yeah. Other than that, I don't think car rides home were too bad. I know we never had the whole like, okay, let's talk about the bad. Now let's talk about the good. Like if it was a bad game, we usually talked about it. But my dad was so practical in the fact that he would talk about like, okay, why did we give up this many runs? Or you got behind too many hitters. Like what was going like, you know, you know, and he He'd put it on you. Yeah. That's good. So yeah. I never felt like. I never truly felt like I had to live up to my dad's expectations, so to speak. I don't ever know if I ever remember feeling like my dad had expectations. And I think some of that too, though, is, and people laugh when I say it, like, I wasn't very good for a while. Like, I loved pitching without being very good. I was average, maybe a little bit above average for probably the first three or four years of pitching. I mean, like I said, it wasn't until my freshman, sophomore year-ish. So I went through all of middle school being decent. And just figuring out how to make it work. I mean, I threw a fa- fastball changeup only until I was probably about 14. So I just figured out how to make it work and fell in love with the process without even having five pitches and without even, you know, making people look foolish all the time and that kind of stuff. And so I think seeing the hard work pay off, so to speak, like it wasn't like I was I was good straight out of straight into my first game. And so my dad could have these expectations of like being up here. So I don't think I ever, I never felt too much pressure. I mean, high school a little bit, obviously, then when you want to win, like once you start, you're old enough to understand the, the significance of winning and playoff games and things like that. Um, but that's where I think our car rides were different too, because it, I wasn't very good at the beginning. Like we just did it because he let me keep doing it because I loved it. It's like, if I mm-hmm. love it, he's going to let me keep doing it. So that's then, awesome. It was very, I was a little scrawny thing and very average. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying this interview with the legend Kat Osterman. And I wanted to see if you didn't know this in the show notes below. So basically wherever you're listening in the show notes, you can see episodes just like this one. So I've interviewed Monica Abbott. I've interviewed our shortstop for Team USA, Delaney Spaulding, and more Olympians just like these legends. And if you're loving this one, you're going to absolutely love the other episodes as well. Delaney's is a personal favorite because one, she's my great friend, but also her comeback story of because the Olympics being postponed, she was able to get an ACL surgery and still compete in the Olympics, which she wouldn't have been able to if she would have played in 2020. So it's an incredible comeback story. It's one of my favorites that we learned in the deep dive with Delaney, but there's other incredible Olympians just like these on the podcast, even past Olympians too. So go ahead, check out the show notes for the episodes that we've had with former elite athletes and next week on the podcast you're actually going to get a compilation of all of the olympians that we've had on the podcast and some of the best parts from each episode but you can dive into those early by checking out the show notes after this episode with kat all right let's get us back to the episode with kat osterman take me to like what 
made you so fierce? Because I'm I'm thinking about my first at bat against you, and you probably don't rec- like remember this at all, but I'm going to bring it up. It was your final season playing in the NPF before you retired and then came back. And everybody's like, she's got this drop ball. She's got this drop ball, obviously. And I'm like, okay, all right, how do you hit it? Like, that's all I want to know. And they're like, literally just drop your bat and try to find it. <laughs> so I will say my entire plan was fine, like going into the box. And then all of a sudden I see you staring at me and I'm like, I don't remember the plan. I don't remember the plan. Kat is fierce and she scares the heck out of me. Thankfully, I think I touched you and popped up to shortstop. I think that at bat, but I mean, either way, I was like, how does someone have this aura, this demeanor that makes you frightened? Like, where did that come from? Because I'm sure you didn't have it when you were like loving it at first. Where did it come from? No, I think over time, a blessing and a curse have been a lot of my, a lot of my elite games have been close games. So I think I had to learn how to hone in and be almost uber focused because, you know, one run can change your entire team's trajectory in a tournament. And so it wasn't always that way, but I think once I got to like 16, 18 under, I just realized that for me being serious and not so much like the fun loving and laughing at things and whatnot worked better. And then I think over time, the face just got a little bit more and more serious and more intense. You know, I know going into college, Coach Clark always called me Oscar because it was like, my eyebrows told you whether I was like in intense focus mode or like super relaxed mode or if a bullpen was good or bad. Because if it was good, I came out normal. And if it was bad, I came out with the, the furrowed eyebrows. So it's just a matter of like, I just got so focused on pitching and the spin and seeing it move and hitting the right spots. And like, I knew exactly like on a dime where I wanted to throw things and how I wanted them to break. And I think I got so determined on making sure I focused on that stuff that I just kind of got myself in a in my own zone, so to speak. And yeah, I think after a while you're successful and you have confidence. So then my confidence comes out in more of an intensity than it does like a fun, fun loving situation. But yeah, I've seen, I mean, I've seen pictures and even when like Jade Hewitt takes pictures, she'll be like, okay, smile. I'm like, no, (laughs) that's not, I don't do that. (laughs) Like That's not me. Can we do the game face photo? Perfect. Yes. You've mastered it. Now, do you feel like there were times where you felt like maybe you were losing it, but like still knew that you had to keep your game face and keep your composure. Like, did that help you like find that confidence maybe when you weren't feeling it ever? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's times where you don't feel right. You don't feel like you have your best stuff, but you just have to go to work with what you have. And, and I think that's for me, why I feel like the focus and the seriousness works so well is because it's not like you go from fun loving to like all of a sudden panics because your best pitch isn't working or fun loving to like, what do I do? Cause the ump's not calling the bottom part of the zone, that kind of thing. So I think that face and that kind of just trying to be intense and focused has always been able to kind of mask when I might be panicking on the inside or when I might know, when I might know like, okay, it's not the best day. So maybe we don't have as many strikeouts, but just go get outs any way you can kind of thing. Mm. Oh, that leads me to a daily dose of cat. I just looked up recently oh, about, oh my gosh, I love your daily dose of cat. Okay. Wait, these are wait, on. I really think you're the reason I kept, I think you're the reason I kept doing them. Like I put out a cup. There was one, <laughs> there was one week where I had just come up with like four or five different things. And I want to say it was on confidence. And so I put them out all week and I really think it was you. It's, it was a long time ago now, but I think it was you that was like loving these daily doses of cat. Hope you keep them up or whatever. I'm like, 
all right, cool. People read them. I'll keep doing them. Granted, they're not every day anymore, but there's. Oh, they, they come when I need them. Let me tell you. That's good. But no, there was one that I, I just looked up and I loved it and it's kind of longer, but I loved it so much. It says the success of a pitcher is not how many strikeouts she gets. It's how effective she is and missing the bat is great, but getting outs is the priority. And you literally just quoted that. And I, I love these daily dose of cat because, and this is probably why I love the last dance so much, the documentary about Michael Jordan, because all I want to know is how great athletes think, you know, and yes, I'm telling you, you're a great athlete. You already know it and the whole world knows it. But like, in all honesty, you probably have people that you look up to that you'd love to hear, you know, these type of things. Like, how do you think as a pitcher? That's why I was like, tell me about the game face. Cause I can't tell you how many pitchers or even, even hitters that are like, how do I keep my composure? You know, when, you know, there's scrambled eggs, like Sue and Quiz says, like up in there, like, how do you do it? Well, your demeanor and how you present yourself is how you're going to get through it. So I think that's a really, a really good thing that people can learn from. And like, when you're stressed, just keep doing what you're doing. Well, Find little wins. Yeah, it's little wins, but it's also going back to like ultimately as a pitcher, what's our job? To throw quality pitches. I don't mm-hmm. even want to say it. people will be like throw strikes. I'm like it's not even throw strikes. Like I don't throw strikes and I get people out. So yeah, I was like quality pitches and get outs. It's like our jobs and getting out totally. really throw a quality pitch to put a ball in play and your defense gets you out. So the outs not even necessarily yours. But too many people get caught up in like. Oh, you know, Montana Fouts is striking out 18 at the World Series. Like, great, but I guarantee you Montana Fouts has had a game somewhere in her life where she struck out six or two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she still might have won. And that's okay. And then there's pitchers where you go watch them and you probably as a hitter, you're like sitting there like, why can't I hit her? But nobody's really hitting her. She's not striking people out, but nobody's really getting hits. But she's just as effective. And it's mm-hmm. like too many people get caught up in the the glitz and glam outcomes. And it's like, it's not about that. And I think coming out of retirement, I had to figure that out a little bit more. I think I always knew it, but I could kind of always just, I don't want to say expect a strikeout, but set up a strikeout. And if I got a a weak ground ball or pop up or something else, then so be it. But like, I knew what I was doing. And then I think when I came out of retirement, I expected to strike people out. And I was like, oh, I should probably go back to what we used to do, which is just try to get outs and the strikeouts come. Because that's, I mean, that's the progression. You think about it not very many eight-year-olds are learning to pitch for the first time and going and striking out 12 people. Right. It's about getting it close to the batter. Right. (laughs) They're probably walking 12 and getting five runs scored on them, but they threw like six good pitches and that's six more good pitches than they threw yesterday. Um, Uh, uh. So yeah, it's just like a, it's a mindset thing and a, a process. I mean, I hate, I shouldn't say I hate the phrase, the process, but sometimes I do because you can trust the process and buy into the process and it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get the outcome you want. There's more to it than just the process, but, but there is a certain order things go and you're not going to just all of a sudden be an 18 strikeout pitcher. Like it, it, that comes as you develop. Yeah. And you mentioned Montana Fouts and I doubt during that game, she really even cared or knew how many outs or how many strikeouts she had. It was just the mission was to get like, find a way to do your thing. And like, if they swing and miss, they swing and miss. But like when you're in the moment, you've had, you've had games like that. Like you're not, you're thinking about the next ball. You're not thinking about the end of the game. You're thinking about, okay, next ball, let's get this girl. And it's not about making her swing and miss. It's about getting outs. That's it. Wow. That's amazing. That's why the defense and the catcher deserve all the credit. 
By the way, who's your favorite catcher that you've ever had catch you? <laughs> You're really going to do this to me? I kind of uh, want to because I know how much you love Gwen, but yeah. no, I, I mean, it goes without saying Megan and I played for 10 years together, um, yeah. two, two at Texas. And then I basically asked her to come out of retirement. She tried to retire and I asked her to come out of retirement and then we ended up playing mm-hmm. more professionally together. So Megan's kind of who I gauge people off of. And I loved throwing to Gwen. And I, one of the first things I told Gwen, I was like, you remind me so much of Megan with how you catch and just your personality and like how we click. So, um, that's special. Yeah. It's, and, and, you know, then, but there's, I've been fortunate that I've gotten to throw and I've been spoiled now that I think about it. I mean, I've gotten to throw to some of the best catchers in the game. I mean, you say on the Olympic side, Stacey Newman, Jenny Topping, Lauren Lappin. Then we go to pro ball. I had Megan, but I also threw to Kristen Sandberg, who is an amazing catcher in her own right. And then obviously this Olympics with Aubrey Monroe, Taylor Edwards, Deja Mulepola, you know, Amanda Chittister's in there. It's like just some of the best catchers. Deja and I have an unbelievable connection. Um, it's been fun throwing to her. Again, if you watch her set up, to me, it looks like Megan. Yeah. So there's a lot of times where I can see catchers and it's like if their setup reminds me of Megan or makes me feel like comfortable like that again, it's pretty cool. So I'm, I don't think any catcher will take offense with me saying Megan's my favorite, <laughs> but it has been fun on retiring and getting to throw to like Deja and Gwen and and have that same, I shouldn't say same, but having a similar connection that there's no same connection as Megan and I had. It was just crazy because right. we're two yeah. polar opposite people too, but that's the best part, but it works. That's, that's the battery. Yeah. Um, I do remember Megan talking smack when I was up there for the first time against you. I don't even think it was smack. It was just like, I could tell it's your first time off a cat. <laughs> I was like, okay. Yeah, I loved it though. That's Megan. <laughs> it's funny because people would be like, I don't understand how you get calls. I'm like, what are you talking about? Megan does a great job. They're like, you have no idea what she says back there. And I'm like, it's probably better that I don't know what she's saying to anybody. Probably is. It probably is. Well, I want to be very conscious of your time and I know you only have a couple minutes. So last question that I asked before our five to thrive questions is one that I know you loved and probably still love Wonder Woman. I do. I need to know where that started. And why it's so prevalent for you, Okay, your love of Wonder Woman. You're going to laugh at this. So, I mean, I truly have liked Wonder Woman. I grew up loving She-Ra. So women are like female superheroes are, made, are, are a thing for me. But love Wonder Woman. She's just powerful. Just, you know, who doesn't look at her and be like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. But the whole collection thing was not a thing until, I want to say 2012-ish, maybe, it might've been Sandberg's rookie year. I can't remember. Anyways, social media was like, we had Facebook when I was in college. That's when it started. Cause you had to have the college email to, to be able to be on Facebook. Well, Facebook and MySpace, but you know, Twitter, Instagram, all that was like kind of new. And so we did, I hate to say it, but we did a social media experiment that was like something about my love for Wonder Woman and something like just something generic, but wanted to, and then all of a sudden, next thing I know we go to Akron and I have five comic books, a keychain, a cup, <laughs> like fans just brought that. And so, wow. So even still to this day, I will say 85% of my collection has been given to me by fans, which is so cool. I had a fan send a box and it was like the entire set of some season of comic books. Um, what? Oh yeah. I probably have close to 50 probably 50, 60 
Wonder Woman comic books. And I think that's amazing. I've bought in like three. (laughs) I have almost all the little pop, like the big head little thingies that you can buy Mm -hmm. at and stuff. Not the whole Wonder Woman collection, but I have almost all of the ones of at least Wonder Woman. Um, I have a couple of the other characters, but yeah. What else do I, I have poster. Well, my brother has got me the movie posters, but yeah, I have stuff that it's just, it's crazy, but it's awesome. I love it. And then, yeah, after that, I just, I mean, who I dressed up as Wonder Woman for Halloween one year. I would not fit into that costume anymore, but, um, but it's just a cool, I think once fans started, you know, contributing, it just became a cool thing to figure out what all we could collect. And um, mm-hmm. her movie is awesome. I wish I could be her stunt double. Oh, I know. She's so powerful. I have a journal and I know I tagged you in it when I first bought it, but there's just something powerful about like knowing, I mean, she's, she's a figurine, like she's not even like real, but like knowing how powerful and strong and amazing she is. It's like, it makes you kind of stand a little taller when you think about her, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love her. That's so cool. Yeah. That's so cool. Oh, I had to ask that question. Yeah. All right. I wanted to ask you all about AU, but I guess that's for a future conversation because you'll be back playing for AU after the Olympics, which will be it for you, correct? You announced it on a previous podcast, but after the Olympics and after you play in AU this fall, it's gonna be it for you? That's it. Um, Yeah, so I'm gonna do AU season two. And as soon as that ends, which um, if my countdown is right, I think we're at 88 days until I'm done playing softball. I, I hate, I keep telling my husband, I'm like, I hate that I have a countdown until I'm done, but I'm tired now. <laughs> you spent an entire year thinking you weren't going to be probably playing this year. Well, I wasn't, I mean, you go back, I wasn't even supposed to play season one. I was supposed to be done playing in July. Yes. Um, and then when I got postponed, I reached out and, you know, they were like, hey, you're a name and come up. But we just knew you were planning on retiring. And I'm like, well, is there room? <laughs> like, do you still have openings? Because I need to play. Um, yes. And so that worked out. And while I was there about halfway through, I was really enjoying it. And so I um, had told John, John and Jonathan, John Petrikoff and Jonathan Soros that, you know, hey, I really love this. Um, I'm not going to play much longer, but I would I would love to play season two. And then after that, figure out how to still be involved because it is a great situation for female athletes. So we'll see what so comes enough. of it. But yep, we will uh, we will be done playing at the end of September 2020. Wow. Your body's going to thank you so much. <laughs> I said, I think I'm going to really wake up. Like when I retired in 15, I woke up the next day and like uh, felt like I basically that like someone close to me had died or something. Like I woke up uh, and felt like, ugh, and cry. I didn't leave bed for like, I left bed for I think three times, one to go to the bathroom, one to get lunch, and then one to go pick up my husband at the airport. Um, wow. Because I was on an earlier flight than he was out of um, Hoover. Mm. And... I said, this time I'm gonna wake up and like throw myself a brunch party, have mimosas and Bloody Marys and French toast. Well, I know, I I don't know. I know you live in Texas, but like, that sounds fun. I'll come and like host it for, I'll put together the party for you. I was like, I I am, I'm gonna have a brunch party and be so excited that I love brunch. That's awesome. You deserve it. And to wrap up, I want to ask you five quick rapid fire questions like Brene Brown does at the end of her. <laughs> I know you love Brene. I love Brene. She's awesome. But yeah, before I ask these questions, I want to just thank you for coming on. This has been so much fun. And I can't wait to follow you. We all can't wait to follow you in the Olympics. It's a few weeks away and it's crazy to think about. All right. First question is, what is the biggest lesson your parents taught you growing up? Ooh, that's a good one. Well, okay. So mom and dad each taught me something different. 
So dad's was the work ethic. Basically, if you're going to go work, don't, no matter how much time, like put, put your all into it. Give 100% of what you have. Don't waste your time or other people's time. Mom, my mom was not an athlete, least, least athletic person in our family. So she was, her, her biggest thing was always just like, she wanted her kids to make a difference. If you make a difference in one person's life, she's happy. So I've always carried that with me, but she gave me a poster when I was younger and it said, stand up for what's right, even if you're standing alone. And that hung in my room until I left for college, pretty much. I just know she always, she always told me like, you do what you think is right, even even if everyone else isn't doing it. Cause you know, your parent always asks you like, oh, if everyone jumped off a bridge, would you jump off it? I'm like, yeah. Right. <laughs> but um, there were a lot of times that just my thought process wasn't, didn't always go with like the popular kids or things like that. And so um, that's just, she always just taught me to, to believe in my own gut and believe in my own values um, and my own thinking. And um, I think that's paid off. I mean, in the long run, there have been times that, you know, maybe a decision I made or something wasn't the best, but when you can just know that you made it with the best intentions or at least with the best thought process that you know how, like you live, you learn and you move on or you like grow from it. So she's always taught me just to trust my own instinct. Wow. Good job, mom. Yeah. I love that. That's amazing. Mom's a great lady. That's so cool. And I love that she didn't play sports because she keeps you probably level-headed and like perspective, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. What is your favorite part about having the ball in your hand on the mound? Favorite part is like, no matter what, we have to be involved in the play, but just like having the, I, there's no other word than power, but having like the power to start everything, every single pitch and having such an impact on the game. I mean, how we throw the ball, it determines whether they hit it or not and how hard they hit it and things like that. So to me, it's just being, I don't know that there's another position. I mean, other than catcher has to catch it, obviously, but to where you influence the game as much as you do. I love that answer. Who is your role model growing up? Preferably a pitcher role model. Okay, pitcher role model, um, Michelle Smith. I was 13, went to USF camp, uh, winter camp. My grandparents lived in Tampa, so we were going to go visit them and my dad saw that USF had a camp and Michelle Smith was working it. And at the time, this was before 96. So she wasn't an Olympian yet, but she was, you know, a left-hander on the national team. And so my dad was like, all right, well, I had never really seen a left-handed pitcher. Not that that doesn't matter. You can learn pitching from right-handed people. It's I, I laugh when parents are like, my kid's a lefty. She needs a left-handed catcher. I'm like, no, no, I learned from all right-handers. You can <laughs> learn, I promise. But just being able to see a left-handed pitcher a national team pitcher at that, regardless of what hand they throw with that kind of thing. And so went down to that camp with coach Erickson and Michelle Smith and got to meet her. And I was so fortunate that after that, she knew some people. So every time I went to Tampa to visit my grandparents, I shouldn't say every time, but a couple of times I got to have lessons with her. And so she had, she had a little bit of a hand in like my maturing as a pitcher a little bit. And yeah, growing up, I wanted to be just like her and was super fortunate. I, I don't know if I make the 2004 team if she doesn't retire in 2002 from USA softball. So she kind of opened a door for me there, but I wanted to be just like her minus I kept my hair in a ponytail. <laughs> that was a good one. I'm going to have to like send her that. All right. What is one thing that you wish you could tell your 12 year old self? You could go back and talk to Kat. You know, I think I would just tell my 12 year old self to keep loving the game. I might tell myself to enjoy it a little bit more, like get older, <laughs> but you know, my 12 year old self loved pitching. And I think that's the coolest part is that, you know, I, I made my own way as a pitcher and not really someone who wanted to hit or liked hitting, but did it when I needed to that kind of thing. And so I would tell my 12 year old self to like completely continue to love what you do and, 
maybe just not take like yourself and the game so seriously sometimes. Yeah, that's a common answer. And I would say that to myself too. Um, before I ask this last question, I just want to acknowledge you for leaving your footprint on this game. Like this game is so, so much better with you in it. And I'm grateful that you came out of retirement. I was sad, actually a little happy in 2016 when I played you weren't throwing, but also sad because I was like, wait, she needs to be here. Like, where is she? But you've done an incredible job. And I know there are little girls that look up to you, just like you looked up to Michelle Smith that you're paving the way for. And I just want to acknowledge you and thank you for everything you've done for this sport. Thank you. Appreciate it. You you bet. And good luck in Tokyo. (laughs) All right. Last and final question is what legacy do you want to leave on this game? I've always wanted my legacy to be that of hard work. I want my teammates to be able to say that the talent, like it wasn't just talent. It was the fact that I I worked hard every single day. I was focused every single day. Um, My strength and conditioning is, is more than what I was doing prior to 2013. I mean, I played probably almost five years of pro ball before I really got serious about what I needed to do. And so my work ethic, but then, you know, I think the game face is a legacy, so to speak, but it's that intensity, the intensity, but at the right times you see the passion and the excitement of a big out or a big play. And so I hope, I hope kids see you can be intense and focused and still absolutely enjoy the game. And, you know, I'll always still go down and spin over speed and hit your spots. So the other legacy would to be the, uh, the spinner in there versus the hard thrower. Yes. Drop the mic. That's such a great answer. And thank you so much for being on cat. Uh, can't wait to watch you play soon. And we'll have to have you back on and talk about AU because it's a pretty special thing. And I'm glad you're in that too. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I would love to come back because the cleats will come back off. Well, for real, come off in September. For real, for real. For real and forever. What a human. Uh, This was such a fun interview with Kat. There were 50 other questions I wanted to ask her, but needed to be conscious of her time because she literally had to leave for Tokyo the next day. If this doesn't motivate you or inspire you or excite you for the upcoming Olympics that's coming at the end of July, I don't know what would. So if you enjoyed this interview, I would love it if you shared this with your community because I think the more that we get to know these elite softball players, the more this game's gonna grow. Because when I was growing up, these Olympians were absolute superstars in my eyes. And yes, she was playing for the Olympics back when I was a little teenager that wanted to play at the highest level. And it's so crucial that these Olympians get the notoriety that they deserve. They are literally at the peak of softball representing our country. So if you enjoy this interview, please share it with your friends, please share it with your family, especially your daughters. This is so fun to be able to get to know how the most elite softball pitcher in our game thinks, her and Monica Abbott. It was so interesting learning from some of the best and why they are the way that they are. So I appreciate every share, every like, every subscribe of the podcast. If you are not subscribed yet, (laughs) crazy enough, next week will be our last 
episode of season one of When the Cleats Come Off. I know it's sad to hear that it's going to stop for a second, but this girl's got to get married and plan it. So with that, it's a perfect time to really listen in on other episodes like this one. I've interviewed, I think, five now Olympians, one from Canada and the rest from Team USA. And it's super interesting learning from some of the best because if you can see it, you can be it. So go ahead, subscribe to the podcast. You will know in our next and our last episode of season one drops next week and when future episodes will come back. Don't worry, we'll be back later this fall. But thank you so much for your time hanging out with us today. And don't forget to stay awkward, stay humble and keep smiling. Keep smiling.